Hi, I'm Kate. And I'm Lori. We've always thought that the most compelling story strikes the perfect balance between an honest look at the mess of life and the humor that can be found in the mess. To be perfectly honest, we don't really know how to live life without both the humor and the authenticity. Our podcast might be a little bit of whiplash at times. We can spin from hard and deep to humor and laughing on a dime. The hard will be really hard and the truths we share are the ugliest of humanity. We don't intend to make it seem like it's all fine or to pretty up the pain, but we also know that the joy we found is all the more profound because of the pain. So we hope you can stick with us through the ugly because there will also be joy and hope and humor. Welcome to the ugly truth about the girl next door. Hello, this is Lori. Um, I am back again today without Kate. Um, This is um, an episode that we thought, again, might help people to have some context for how to interpret um, the emergence of Kate's experience at this point. I know that that can be very confusing. That's why we talked about memory and trauma and how that happens. Um, So I thought it might help if I could walk folks through some of the yeah, I hate to kind of phrase it this way, but the validating process, if you will. Um, so at this point, I've known Kate a long time, and I believe her just because I know her. Um, and over and over and over again, I have had experiences that I could not even begin to uh, list for you of times when it was, there was an opportunity for her to share something that um, would have been um, simple, Um but would not have been accurate. Um, So I'll talk a little bit more about that later. But over and over and over, Kate has shown herself to be um, straightforward and reliable in the things that she shares. Um, So at this point, I believe her just because I believe her. In the beginning of my time with Kate, however, I knew that 90 to 98% of sexual abuse allegations are later validated or are found to be valid. So my leaning was to, of course, as I'm, we're urging everyone to listen with an open heart and mind. Um, But still, you know, I I have been doing this a long time. And so I understand that sometimes things can become skewed in someone's mind. Um, And so I listen also with um, an ear for how it all hangs together. Um, And so I want to talk a little bit about that part. Um, So first off, let me say that I understand that um, it's very hard to make sense of some of these things. But as I was sort of thinking about this conversation, I was thinking about um, the reality of the clergy abuse allegations that have all come out 10, 20, 30 years later. and how difficult it was for people in the beginning of that process to get their head around the idea, like, again, why did people wait that long to come forward? But at this point, I think as a culture, we have embraced the idea that that is sometimes how that goes. Um, and so I think it's important to wear those lenses as we're hearing Kate. Um, I know also that sometimes it's hard to it's hard to look past, as we said in the first episode, it's hard to look past some of the evidence of emotional instability in trauma survivors. And it's easy to say, oh, well, maybe they're saying these things because they have a mental illness. Um, And I think it's important to understand that for someone to share with great detail, a delusion, um, they have to be 
significantly mentally ill as a result of if they're sharing that as a delusion. Um, like if you're schizophrenic, your life is not functional. There, there isn't this that schizophrenics don't do boxes. Um, they are um, struggling across every domain in their life. And um, that is not how this presents. Someone with trauma does not present in that way. Um, and if someone is has a struggle with mental illness in terms of they have anxiety or depression or um, other things, they those those struggles are the result of something. Um, so it's very important to keep in mind that while we might um, hear someone come forward later and maybe want to believe a little bit that maybe they were manipulated or coerced or into saying those things or they're delusional, um, that, that really does not hold up when you um, consider really what it looks like when someone is delusional on the level that they would be able to articulate details of an experience that all kind of hangs together. Um, so beyond that, let me say um, that it is, it, I do when I'm talking to someone I'm just meeting and they're sharing with me details of their experience. Again, I lean into most likely this is a valid expression of what has happened. Um, I was taught to consider questions of secondary gain, right? So a lot of false allegations from children, if, are, if they are false, are the result of um, parental alienation. So there's a messy divorce going on and there is confusion happening for the child because they are perhaps being coached by one parent who now has hostility toward the other. Um, sometimes it's just blatantly false things that the child is being coached to say. Um, sometimes it's uh, one parent is exaggerating some of the toxicity. Um, so I, I recognize that that happens, but that happens primarily in a very specific context. Um, and so it is important to consider, is there a secondary gain here? So that idea of, you know, is is a person sharing this because they are getting something out of it? Um, it's important to recognize that for Kate, the only thing she's getting out of sharing this experience at this point is a lot of stress and um, struggle uh, and a lot of anxiety about how people are receiving this information and how that is this is all going to affect her life. So she is what is her gain here? I mean, it's hard to really identify what the gain would be. Sure, you could always stretch to identify the gain as attention, the gain as whatever. But um, in reality, uh, that is not a primary motivation here. Um, I would also look to see and have found for Kate, you know, when you're, again, looking, feel free to Google it. But if you're looking to understand the veracity of allegations, you also look for things like, is there sensory detail able to be shared for the experience? So if someone is talking about a car accident, so remembering back to implicit versus explicit memory, let's say someone is going to share their experience of a car accident. They will often share things like the specific sound of the squealing tires or the way the car looked when they looked in their rearview mirror and saw that they were about to be rear-ended, the specific of how that looked um, 
things like how the ambulance smelled or the color of the nurse's uh, uniform, stuff like that. Sensory, specific sensory details that a person would not normally think of. So someone I know recently um, fell and broke a wrist. And one of the sensory details she recalls in vivid detail is how hot the pavement was where she fell. Um, and that kind of sensory detail is not typically something that people share when they've not had the experience. They just wouldn't have access to it. Um, we would also look for the emotional detail. So we understand that when someone is um, emotionally disconnected from an experience, they can sometimes share it as, well, those of you who are old enough, I call it the Joe Friday. Um, so you remember from Dragnet, um, just the facts, ma'am. So certainly we understand that people who are emotionally traumatized and therefore disconnected can share their experience very factually without a whole lot of emotion attached. But once people now begin, if they've been traumatized, to open up the boxes that include the emotion. So they start accessing some of that implicit memory, not only the explicit, but they start sharing the implicit stuff. I would expect to hear things coming from them that I would consider to be consistent with the experience. Um, so someone who had been bitten by a dog would talk about being afraid of dogs. Someone um, who had a car accident would, I would expect to hear some anxiety about that. I would also expect to hear some emotions tied to that experience that would make sense. Um, there's also the question of does the, the way it's being described kind of make sense, hang together. Um, so if someone were to say to me, um, I was snowmobiling, for example, and someone appeared in the woods and sexually assaulted me. That would give me pause, right? I would not assume that the person was lying. I would, however, you know, that that's really tough to get your head around that as a possibility, considering it's the middle of woods, there's snow everywhere, people wear a lot of uh, snowsuits and hats and gloves and all the things when they are snowmobiling. So that would be one of those things that would make me go, okay, well, I need to hear more about that in order for it to make sense. Um, so I share that because I want people to understand that I do not blindly hear what people share with me and don't evaluate, consider all the possible angles for what could be going on here, including the fact that this is not necessarily a memory that is accurate. Um, at this point, I have known Kate long enough that I do in fact believe the things that she tells me without a lot of evaluation because she has proven herself over many, many, many sharings to be someone who shares accurately. Um, so I, I wanna share a little bit of that with you, again, with Kate's permission, um, I wanna share a little bit of what Kate has said to me that has helped me to know that when she is sharing these things, it's accurate. So first, um, Kate shared with me, without calling it grooming, she shared the grooming process with me. Grooming is the represents the ways that um, a, an abuser begins to get a child accustomed to the inappropriate things that if you just jumped right in from nothing to everything in um, abusing a child, a child is going to be shocked by that experience and perhaps be more likely to resist or to talk. But if you just, as a, uh, if an offender sort of gradually eases into it, um, it, it 
I know this is a terrible way to think of it, but they're more successful. Um, so for example, um, things like we have a very special relationship. And so when an offender convinces a child that they have a special relationship and they do things to confirm that special relationship, singling them out for special attention, bringing special gifts, saying certain things, having certain rituals and traditions that are just for them, the two of them, um, that's part of the grooming process. These are things that Kate described. Someone who has not had the experience and also who, or they have not done a uh, long study on how that process goes would really not have access to that level of specificity. Um, grooming can also include, I need you and you need me. No one else would understand our relationship. Those kinds of things are things that Kate has shared again. All of what I'm talking about here are things that I would not expect a regular person on the street to understand, but that Kate shared, um, which again, adds to the validity of the things she has shared. Kate's sharing of um, some of the expectation of the men who came and paid for sex with her and the stress that was caused by that. Again, that's not stuff that, uh, the detail of that is not stuff that a regular person would ever consider. Um, never mind be able to articulate in very specific detail. Um, you know, we're trying to be careful about not being too triggery and, you know, we want to make this something that people can stand to listen to, but it is important to recognize that there was a lot of, um, variability and specifics in terms of who wanted what. Um, and Kate will talk more about that in the future. But again, for her to talk about that, she wouldn't likely be able to even think about those things without having had the experience. Um, things like um, details of the specific space that Kate has shared. She mentioned in the last um, episode about the cinder block walls in the basement. Um, there was a chest of drawers that she talked about that had outfits in them. Um, she talked about the photos and videos and the specific process by which photos and videos were taken. Um, again, somebody who had not had that experience would not have that level of specificity available to them. Um, even the fact that she doesn't say some things that would be, that would um, be simple to say just yes. Um, so she's been asked before, did she see money? Um, and she has said, no, I didn't see money. I saw the envelopes. It would be so much easier for her to say, yes, I saw the money. Um, but she didn't. What she said is, I saw the envelopes, which makes lots of sense, right? People are probably not just handing over a wad of cash. It could be, but it makes sense that what she would see would be the envelopes. Um, also talking about sort of the emotional fallout um, that came from some of this stuff, um, the brainwashing, um, the fear that people would hate her, not just even the fear, but being completely convinced that people will hate her. She is disgusting. She will be blamed. Um, that level of intensity of emotion and certainty about those lies, again, it's not something that people fake. Uh, it's something that you can only really express when you have lived the experience. Again, all of this together 
right? We're not just talking about one piece of this, but the other pieces don't go. But when you put it all together, it makes for a very valid disclosure. Um, further, the flashbacks that Kate experiences, the fact that she has the sensory experience of it while sometimes, again, she has the implicit memory, but struggles to find the puzzle piece in the dust bunnies under the couch. She has a hard time bringing forward the explicit part of that memory. Um, the way the memories have emerged, no one ever comes in with the whole puzzle put together ready to share. If they've got the whole puzzle ready to share, they don't, they're further along in their therapy. They're not seeking out somebody new for the most part. Um, the fact that she's come in with puzzles, with puzzle pieces, and that there has been a process of that kind of coming together is also consistent with what I would expect there to be in a disclosure that is valid. Um, she also talks about the complexity of the feelings about the disclosures in middle school and high school that she's referenced before. And the fact that she had a lot of confused feelings about that. Again, that is not something that a person who hadn't lived the experience would really call forward. We would assume that a person would be desperate to be able to tell and be protected from the bad things that were happening. Yes, that was true. But the part that a person who hadn't lived the experience maybe they would not fully understand is she was also desperately terrified that someone would find out because she felt so ashamed and disgusting and was so very brainwashed to believe that if people found out they would hate her, they would blame her. So that again, that complexity of I'm desperate, this has to stop. And yet, oh my gosh, what if someone finds out they're going to hate me and everybody will leave me and everyone will know my shameful secret that complexity is not something that a person who had not lived the experience, they, they wouldn't just come up with that. Um, and I, I do think that it's important for people to realize that this is not, this is not even the whole of the things that have been valid, um, that have validated Kate's reporting to me of her experiences, but this is sort of the high level stuff. Um, so there, um, there was an, uh, an episode when Kate, uh, after doctor's appointment, honestly, where she came to me and she talked about being triggered by the crinkling of the paper, you know, the paper that they put on the uh, medical table. Um, I had no context for understanding why that would possibly be triggery. So I asked, oh, was there medical paper somewhere in the experiences that you had? Again, just like with the money in the envelopes, the easiest thing for her would have been to say, yes, there was medical paper. That would have been a detail that would be a little bit, well, okay, you know, maybe, maybe there was somebody medical involved, maybe. Um, it would have been easiest for her to say, sure, there was medical paper there, but that's not what she said. What she said, no, it was newspaper, which sounds the same. Um, so those kinds of details of the sensory experience of I hear that crinkling noise and that now triggers the implicit memory um, and the fact that she did not just give me the easy answer, she gave me the accurate answer, only served to repeatedly, those experiences repeatedly to validate the veracity of the things that Kate was claiming. Um, so I hope that that gives some context um, for folks who are maybe trying to think about how to make sense of this. Um, and um, I hope that you can hear this 
as not that Kate needs to prove her story to be so, but that we want to make sure that we are giving people a way of understanding this that doesn't make it too much of more of a leap than it needs to be to be able to understand what happened to her. Um, so I hope that this was helpful. Kate and I are hoping that you're listening and um, that this information helps you to help others. Um, so follow us on Instagram and share the podcast. If you or someone you know is stuck in a trafficking situation and needs help, please reach out to the National Human Trafficking Hotline by calling 1-888-373-7888 or text HELP, H-E-L-P, to 233-733.